Welcome back, everybody. We are just about a week and a half out from the 2020 election. Can, can you believe that? I think a lot of us are anxious for it to be over. Anyway, there are so many variables surrounding what our country's healthcare benefits will look like based on the results of the presidential election, including prescription drug prices, which is what we're going to focus on today. And I'm really pleased to have on the podcast today, Jeff Post, who's the chief clinical officer with our One Digital Pharmacy Consulting Division, RX Connection. And uh, Jeff's on the podcast with us to help us dig into this very topic of prescription drugs, always a timely topic. Uh, and Jeff is extremely, not, not only is it, he's a great guy, but uh, extremely knowledgeable on this subject. So it's a, it's a great honor to have him on the show. Welcome, Jeff. Glad to be here, Jeff. So, uh, you know, let's, ju- let's jump right in, as we always do. And we're going to start, and I'm not going to get political here, and I don't want you to get political. That's not what we're doing. So, but, but we do have to talk about the election. And I've got to ask, Jeff, what's at stake for prescription drugs and pharmacy plans and, and, and the whole, you know, pharmacy benefit world uh, as it relates to the results of the election? Yeah, it is an interesting question because there is a lot of discussion around prescription drugs, and it's not the first presidential election where prescription drugs is one of those kind of high priority items, along with total health care uh, cost controls in general. From my viewpoint, I think the word patience is probably the most critical one here, because if we kind of reverse back to where we were Four short years ago, pharmacy and, and pharmacy benefits and pharmacy costs was an incredibly hot topic. And now we're here at the end of a, a presidential cycle where pharmacy was one of the very big topics. And we've seen no relief from what's happening with uh, increasing costs, increasing rebates and everything else. And the problem is, is uh, operationalizing it, right? So the, the current president did make some statements and some, um, I guess, executive orders, but there's no way to operationalize them. So I, I think the challenge is going to be not who's in there, but how do we operationalize this and truly change what is a, a titanic ship and one that's down the road many, many years um, in, in the making. So I think patience is going to be the biggest thing. And I don't see any immediate changes probably over the next two years, to be very honest. The message then is, correct me if I'm wrong, that really, you know, there's a lot of work going on, regardless of who's in the Oval Office and regardless of, you know, who, who owns the House and the Senate and all that stuff. Regardless of that, there's a lot of work happening that's going to continue to happen e- either way around uh, trying to drive down pharmacy costs. Is that right? Yeah, I, I don't think the work's going to slow down or increase. I think it's been fairly consistent. They've been trying to tackle high pharmacy prices for years now. I just don't think that we've got a quick fix to this. And, and whether the government starts negotiating it or how we actually fix it, I still think needs to be ironed out. But I believe it's going to be actively discussed, but I don't think it's going to be immediately fixed. So should employers be kind of looking out for anything, you know, post-election um, or, or, or not? Is it kind of business as usual? I think for this first year, it's going to be fairly business as usual. I think there's a lot of things that can happen, obviously, between the political parties, whether, you know, the coverage expands or shrinks, you know, the role of Medicare. Um, luckily, both of them do not believe in a true national medicine environment where the government runs everything. So, I don't see a dramatic change for employers for the next year from a, from a planning cycle perspective or something they should 
take into account for next year based off of who is is in the office as it relates to pharmacy? All right, let's get off of the election because there's really, you know, it's, it sounds like it's not going to have any meaningful uh, immediate impact uh, to what's happening on the prescription drug front. So we'll move away from that. But so here's a stat uh, for you. Um, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, predicts continued uh, prescription drug spending increases in, in excess of 6% from now through 2025. So, you know, the next, called the next five years and beyond, and, and which is obviously a lot more than, than, uh, than CPI. So I think that's like half a trillion dollars annually in, 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 a, in, in prescription drugs by 2022, if I did the math right, and maybe I didn't, but either way, we spend a lot on prescription drugs. And so I'm gonna throw a really kind of loaded question at you, Jeff, and that is this, what can employers do about prescription drug costs, if anything? I, I think that the biggest thing I would say is status quo isn't going to change uh, that that basically trajectory. So I believe that what they're stating, the, the plus six or or whatever that is, is really a national epidemic. I, I know it's going to outpace inflation and CPI. That That's a given. I think status quo is something that can't be accepted if a employer tr- an employer really wants to actually change that trajectory. And again, whether you're below the six or above the six really is going to depend on your individual utilization. But I think disruption, change, or something purposeful, right? You have to do something purposefully different to change the trajectory. Otherwise, the average employer is unfortunately going to have to budget increased pharmacy costs for the next five years. So purposefully different. So don't accept the status quo. Do something. Take action. Um, I guess you have to start by assessing the performance of your pharmacy benefits manager, PBM, right now? How, how do employers do that? Yeah, and, and that's a good question as far as how do you do that fairly, right? How do you compare apples and oranges at times? And also, uh, what do employers have the rights to, to truly evaluate in the pharmacy space, right? So if you think about what's happened to the industry, there's been an incredible amount of consolidation where pretty much all major medical carriers either own or are owned by a pharmacy benefit manager. So there's an incredible financial tie there that really does make it difficult for employers. And so what we're seeing is is the medical carriers, especially when you have less than 500 employees, are really not giving the employers that are even self-insured much opportunity to even evaluate their pharmacy performance. And they're basically just given a, a value prop or a bill of goods, a product that they really can't you know, negotiate on or, or piece apart. So I, I think the challenge in that, that smaller under 500 markets becoming more challenging because the medical carriers aren't allowing them to look. And so the word status quo and disruption to me now starts to mean you've got to look at somebody outside of even now medical because pharmacy and medical are so tightly tied together. In the larger market, if you're thinking in that larger market, they truly have a a much better chance to look at the pharmacy benefit. But the challenge is, is really getting through the pharmacy game, which is the price and the rebate driving your analysis and really taking that hard, difficult look at are our patients actually taking the right medications and what are we doing to actually change uh, the overall spend rather than what is the price I'm paying today. Again, it's, it's not an easy equation to figure out value versus the volume equation. Yeah. Bottom line is employers really need some help and expertise on, on the issue. And, 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 and I want to get to, you kind of touched very quickly on the, 
the end consumer and rebates and getting getting the right drug at the right time. And we're gonna we're definitely gonna get to that. But um, you know, you referenced the consolidation and and the the uh, the carriers acquiring of, or in some cases the the you know the large pharmacies acquiring of carriers. But this merging of carrier and pharmacy benefit manager, health insurance carrier, and I think what you said was that that that's actually leading to less transparency, particular down market, that they're protecting their business uh, that they've spent a lot of money to acquire and, and therefore not going to want people to look under the hood. Is that right? Very fairly stated. I, I try not to throw a medical carrier that owns a pharmacy benefit provider under the bus, but that really yeah. is what you're facing, right? less transparency, definitely less flexibility, right? That barrier of saying, you know, it's, it's, it's our pharmacy benefit provider or none. Um, and then even that word uh, unbundling or, or trying to break apart that relationship, the financial barrier there is escalating exceptionally large because we're taking away a financial lever. And unfortunately, the, these are for-profit businesses. And if you take away one of their financial levers, they have to replace it typically with some other financial income, which they do pass on to the employers. And so, again, I think it's it's a very challenging position for employers where they have to either accept it or now they have to face additional fees to, to truly actually unbundle it or pull it apart. So it's it's definitely getting harder, not easier to look at the pharmacy space. Is it fair to say then that we really need to focus on, would it be true to say then, okay, well then what we really need to focus on is helping employers help their employees maximize their drug benefit, right? And, and what does that mean? You know, help employees kind of get to that most cost-efficient drug because there's a lot of noise out there for, for the end consumer and it, it can be, I'm sure, confusing. So how do we help them get to that right drug the, the, the cost effective, but also therapeutically effective drug? How, how do they avoid the rebate game? Um, you know, how, how do we help people do that and, and maximize the, the drug benefit effectively? Yeah, and that's, that's kind of a loaded question at times, depending on how the benefit's set up, unfortunately, because some of the setups are counterintuitive. And so I'll, I'll kind of give you the one complaint I have about why this is difficult for the end consumer. And that is really around some of the gamemanship around rebates that we see with the large pharmaceutical and large PBMs, where they're still preferring a brand over a generic is a very simple game, where they're basically providing the brand product with a rebate, and they're blocking access to the generic, which from a consumer standpoint, if you price checked it, of course, the generic is going to be cheaper than the brand prior to the rebate coming back. And so I think it creates a layer of confusion where there's a gimmick or a game in there making it hard. If we made this beautiful statement that the games never happen and the, the choice is truly up to the patient and the patient has the right tools, right? This euphoria environment, then I think it's the patient engagement that's still lacking, right? So I think getting employers and it's really heavy on communication all of the pharmacy benefit providers have either web-based or, or mobile-based price checking, price tools, and consumerism is, is still very, very low, right? There's very few patients truly looking, am I on the cost-effective one? What are my options? Who's my higher price pharmacy versus my lower price pharmacy? 
a lot of that consumerism still is not happening. So I think from an employer's perspective, it would be the press for the engagement tools, right? Almost everybody has the tools available. The engagement side of it is still incredibly low single digits for most employers. And so I think it's the challenge of getting them to more actively pursue this consumerism aspect that we've tried for years to get in the hands of our, our, our members. Yeah, I mean, with health, it's interesting because we'll, people will just, you know, typically, I think, do what their doctor tells them to do. So the doctor is going to write a script and then and then they'll kind of let it. They, 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 they don't take control, I, I think, in many instances. Right, Jeff? They, and, and you're saying you, we've got to help them it maybe even incentivize them in some way to start taking control and, ask, and asking some questions uh, before they go fill that script. Yeah, and that's... I know you haven't asked me about coupons or how they impact, but I think coupons are actually creating additional mud in the water, especially with physicians. So not that a physician will purposely, you know, recommend a higher cost medication when a more cost effective, lower cost one's available. But if you kind of think about what a physician hears, a physician only learns and hears about the branded products, right? As a, as a product moves into its generic life cycle and falls lower in cost, a physician no longer is educated or taught what that product still is and what the cost point is, right? How much more affordable that low cost generic is. Marketed, unfortunately, are the brands and the brands, especially these newer versions where they have competition come with coupons. And so the coaching point to the physician is you don't have to worry about the price of the product because the member has the cost offset from the coupon. And so it is affordable for the patient, right? And so this is kind of that conundrum that the coupon is helping the patient and is making their health care affordable. But on the back end, we're going to a branded product when a generic might have been the perfect alternative there. And again, the physicians are not educated on price. They're, they're really pushed the affordability to the end user. They're not here to protect plan sponsors. And again, I think that's one of the, the parts of healthcare that's a little broken, which is the physicians are aligned to the patients. They don't worry as much about the end cost to the plans. That well, true. Particularly historically, you know, all the carriers are working on you know their version of accountable care and pay for value versus volume. And you know, do you know, Jeff? Like, do, do these arrangements with, with, that the carriers are making with uh, with providers that are that are shifting from volume to to value based payments? Um, do they include managing pharmacy cost as well? As of right now, very few of them are linked to that level of detail, right? Yeah. So they're really looking at total cost of care. And so pharmacy does impact that some. But mm. one of the bigger issues is obviously hospitalizations, you know, reduced, reduced issues with long-term consequences of the chronically ill. And they're really looking at medical cost avoidance much more than the pharmacy cost avoidance piece. But I, I see that being that next potential evolution where the consumerism and the value really starts drilling down into the pharmacy benefit a little bit more. But right now they're, they're at that higher level, really looking at medical outcomes only today. To end, to end the conversation on coupons, and I'm glad you brought it up. So thank you for that. Uh, can, can employers, I mean, I guess they should, they, they should start by asking their PBM, Hey, you know, what, how do you handle, you know, coupons and it, how you know, because I know that there are programs where the employer uh, can participate in the save in the coupon savings and not just have it all be right. So, so that's one thing employers can do, right? Is to is to ask their PBMs what can you do about coupons and 
Yeah, so coupons really exploded um, over the last several years and, and heavily on, I, I know you're referring to the programs on specialty drugs where the coupons yeah. are there as a, as a huge financial offset to make it more affordable. Un- unfortunately, though, it's kind of incentivized specialty drugs where all your specialty drugs are almost free to the members and they were using these coupons to pay through the deductible out-of-pocket obligations. Almost everybody in the industry now has some form of an accumulator protection program or some form of a coupon management program that now can either protect the plan sponsor. And again, this is only in self-insured. In a fully insured environment, they really don't have these tools in the chest. Um, And in other cases, maximize and optimize those coupons. Again, so those tools are available, but that's laser focused only in the specialty drug space. The challenge is the traditional drugs, right? The ones that are still going to your retail pharmacies still have branded high cost alternatives and they still have coupons because the visibility of what's happening at the retail pharmacy is still outside the scope and and visibility of your average pharmacy benefit manager who doesn't see what's happening after their first claim goes through. So again, I think in specialty coupons, we've, we've done a good job of addressing some of the major coupon issues and giving employers some tools But on the traditional side, there's really no way to track those and mitigate some of the issues we're seeing on some of the traditional drugs being still given coupons and and basically doing those exact same things, helping members pay through their out-of-pocket obligations. So so it helps the members, right? And the the subject that we've been on is uh, is how do we help employees maximize their drug benefits? So that actually does help them. And if they really need a specialty drug, then... You, you don't want to, you don't want these financial barriers to, to get them if it's going to keep them out of the hospital and, you know, keep them, uh, you know, alive and well. So, uh, but kind of shifting, I, here's a question that I think is on a lot of people's mind. This direct to consumer marketing of, of, of drugs, of prescription drugs, does that help or does that hurt the consumer? Is it, is it, talk about that for a minute. It hurts. (laughs) There's really, I don't know any person that would really say that this is really helping American healthcare because you even talked about it before, right? The, the, The person typically relies on their physician to prescribe and to understand the clinical and understand what is the appropriate drug. Direct consumer actually basically completely circumvents that idea and says the consumer now is the smarter one. So if you're experiencing these side effects, you might have this disease and you should ask for this new specialty medication with your physician. So again, I think the commercials are helping trying to promote uh, almost from a hypochondriac basis, sometimes over promote uh, increased diagnosis, um, increased use on specialty medications. And if you think about the commercials, the commercials are typically either for a specialty medication, most of them are for specialty medication to promote specialty usage, um, and if it is a traditional drug, it's typically a traditional drug that's in a class that has other lower cost generic alternatives. And so you're simply, again, going directly to the consumer to try to get a higher sticker price product um, placed out there. So I think it creates confusion. Um, I don't think it in any way benefits healthcare. And I think if, if a consumer is doing a good job, they listen carefully to that long list of side effects at the end of the commercial that more than the actual commercial itself because it's the side effects and the worry about the patient care that it's going to be on their scope that they shouldn't be going to the physician saying i saw this drug advertised on tv maybe that's right for me and i can't i can't think of any any other 
any other example of where you know it's it's where 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 uh, companies are are directly marketing to consumers who who have virtually no expertise or, or education on the thing that they're being marketed to. You know, in other words, I'm not an engineer, and and I guess most people aren't. So you don't see commercials on TV about products that only engineers would know how to use properly might be a horrible example right but but here we are marketing to people who have no idea really what's appropriate what, what drugs are appropriate for them or or not right it's just crazy do other does this happen in other countries jeff this direct-to-consumer marketing no no this is this is one of those american-centric pieces where um capitalism and everything else and, and obviously it's it's probably more about the money than anything else, right? So allowing them to advertise pumps and fuels money into the marketing and, and, the, and the, you know, the costs and everything else, you know, it helps TVs, radio, all of those broadcast media with, with increased revenue dollars from marketing perspective. So there is that gain, right? So the good news is there's marketing dollars out there being spent on the products but it's just really being spent in the wrong direction, going direct yeah. to consumers. So I, I think it's just, it's the misguided, right? It's helping marketing and media in a way inversely, but it's hurting the American public in another way because of it's, they're, they're not, they should not be making medical decisions based off commercials. Is that one of the reasons that uh, drugs cost a lot more in the United States than in other developed countries? Well, uh, the beautiful thing about capitalism is you can charge what you think the public is willing to pay or you think is willing to stomach, right? And you've, you, you know of some of these crazy new products coming out where it's a half a million to a million, even up to $2 million for a single treatment, right? Because they're looking at the lifespan of the patient saying, but if you spend $2 million now, you could have cost avoid more than $2 million over the life of that patient. So I, I think it's it's really being they are allowed to basically price what they think the the budget can tolerate. And then they're typically going above that. If you look at the studies of what a price should come out at, it's typically significantly higher than they estimated it, it's truly worth. But the other big challenge there is, is, is the pharmacy benefit providers, right? Before that drug hits the market, rebates have to be talked about, right? So how much of that, that high sticker price is coming back to me in rebates? And there's a negotiation between the benefit providers and pharma where they have to create a buffer, a percentage of their sticker price that has to be funneled back into the supply chain. And again, that's the part that's really hurting us also is the fact that they have to account for the rebate and the, the kickback portion of it. And that again, adds additional inflation to it. So it's it's really, a, it's a multi-pronged, right? You can't blame the pharmacy benefit providers or pharma, right? The system's now here. Um, and, and again, I think the largest national employers say the whole rebate game needs to just explode, right? Make it go mm -hmm. away, just make it go away. But every pharmaceutical company has to now take a haircut, right? They have to reduce their price by 25, 30% to reset the market. Um, in a rebate-free environment, and that part hasn't been agreed to, right? So they have to go in unison, blow up rebates, but everybody's sticker price has to drop. And again, I think that's, again, the operational issue I talked about at the beginning. It's a great idea to get rid of rebates, but if you don't address the high sticker cost that accounts for the rebates, 
we kind of shot ourselves in the foot. So, and rebates, I'm assuming, aren't happening in other in other countries. And so, you've got the direct to consumer marketing. You've got the rebates, and I think you said that the other reason that we spend, you know, drugs cost more here than in other countries is because we're we're willing to spend it. I guess is, is that what you said? Yeah, there's no price capitation, unfortunately, in the United States, right? It's not, yep. it's not that anybody's negotiating or telling them you can't go above. And that's really kind of the, the problem. And they, they talk about too much government interference versus zero government interference. And that's really kind of where we're at today, which is nobody's stopping somebody from doing something really inappropriate. And so they're getting away with it at times. And, and so I think that's the, the issue here is at, at what point and who steps in and says that price was completely inappropriate. I mean, why can't we just start, why, why can't we just start purchasing drugs from, from, from other countries? Actually, both, both political parties, I'll say, are both interested in either importation or some sort of competition that takes what is a much lower cost point outside of the U.S. and figures yeah. out a way to bring it in. So whether yeah. you're buying from a foreign country and bringing it in or doing some sort of a favored nation or pricing negotiation that says to pharma, I'm either going to buy it from this country or you're going to match or get closer to what that con- country is charging us. And again, there's there's a lot of caveats there around safety and making sure the drug is appropriate and making sure the supply chain is protected. There's a lot of moving parts there, but I think both both candidates have that same concept of saying everybody else is paying much lower than us. What can we do to get down to a more average uh, price point rather than this inflated price point that we're sitting at? It's good news that, that they're both at least, you know, talking about it uh, yeah. and, and there's an awareness. And, and so, you know, that's you have to start somewhere. Right. It, it leads me to another question, which is, uh, what do you think about these, I'll call them pharmacy vacations, where, you know, we kind of send, somebody has a high cost injectable drug, they need, you know, they need IV therapy twice a year, whatever. So, hey, let's put them on a plane and send them to the Cayman Islands for a week or wherever. And and it's going to, you know, put, up a, put, put them up in a nice hotel and pay for their meals. And, um, and uh, it's going to save money in the long run. What do you think about that? Medical tourism is is probably growing, not shrinking now. Um, as a as a clinician and one that also thinks about total cost of care risk and, and all those other things that go into the plan also, which is productivity, lack of productivity, all of those pieces, um, patient safety. I'm still not really jumping on or buying into the medical tourism piece of it. First of all, you can't make your employee go to the Cayman Islands on vacation, right? You can't force them to do it, even if you can buy it for pennies on the dollar in the Cayman Islands. The other concern is always that what if, right? You know, they, they, they say there's insurance to cover that, but what if something goes wrong with that person while they're on vacation in the Cayman Islands, right? What, what happens in that what if situation? Uh, because now they're outside of American healthcare, they're outside of our view, everything else. Um, and so I, I kind of go back to the root cause issue, right? Which is American healthcare needs to fix American healthcare, not try to divert American healthcare to either just buying from other countries or shipping our patients to other countries for treatment, because we know it's much more affordable there. Uh, again, I, I think it's a it's a it's a bandaid on a broken situation, and I think we need to better fix the situation than just try to ship a patient to the Caymans. 
we need that old, you know, kind of American ingenuity that says, look, we we could figure it, we we could we could do it better, we could find a better way, right? Uh, and and we don't need to be more, we don't need to be more like somebody else. Let let's actually be better and 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 find a better way. Um, and uh, so there, I mean, you know, the good news is there are some smart people working on that, right? Yeah. Yes, there are. <laughs> no, matter All right. which, no matter no matter which politician is leading it. <laughs> yeah, the, the the politicians themselves are not are not uh, developing the drugs. We can rest assured of that. Uh, Jeff, what else did we miss? Well, I think you did a great job of covering it. And again, I, I kind of hit it on the punchline at the beginning, which I think that the the plan sponsors need to either take it into their own own hands or be okay with inflation hitting them, right? Drug inflation, new drugs to market, new therapies, new higher costs. I mean, everything you look at is kind of bad news, right? Everything coming out is more expensive than what it's replacing. The specialty drug pipeline is huge. The average commercial plan is spending 40 to 45% on specialty drugs. They expect that to tip north of 50%. We're still looking at pharmacy from a very traditional perspective, thinking of rebates and discounts, but specialty drugs are driving it. So again, you know, the punchline is back to the status quo. If you're, if you're just in the system and you're accepting and you're doing the same thing year over year, you're probably not going to change anything dramatically. It's really requires the deeper dive and, and really looking at more of a, I guess, an, a disruption, right? It's that, that little chart that says higher disruption equals higher savings potentially what you have to look at, which unfortunately is disruptive, right? Nobody, nobody wants disruption in a year of COVID, right? I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing. Everybody's been disrupted this year. And I guess my challenge for your listeners is, is after something as disruptive as this year is tearing apart your pharmacy benefit or looking at this in a more aggressive function, really going to be as disruptive as what we've experienced over the past year. And again, I, I, I think that that may help fuel some some interest in getting more aggressive or looking at this under a different lens in the future. I love that. It's it, it, it's you know the other way to look at it too is what better time to do something bold uh, and uh, and and disruptive than now when for so many employers you know finding ways to kind of cut their their benefit cost or, or control their benefit cost is more important than ever because they've got all the ch- the financial challenges related to this to this virus and, and also you know you know we we're just talking about we've got people need to just be mindful of their health you know if you get any disease whether it's coronavirus or whatever you name it and you go into it with 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 good health you've got a much better chance of coming out of it with uh okay right and so you know to the to the extent that we can help employees get and stay healthy um all the better agreed all right well uh i i think that i think that covers it and there's one last thing we need to do because we do this with all of our guests and hopefully you're you're okay with this but we we're, i'm going to ask you a few kind of hot questions rapid fire questions and if you could just answer top of mind first thing that comes to mind that'd be great you good with that sure Okay. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite band? Green Day. Old school. All right. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? One? Only one? Just one. I, I, I watch way too many Marvels. I can't even think of this, right? So I'm going to pass. <laughs> I, I would watch. I, Jeff, I, 
I love Marvel and all of the Marvel universe. I'm a sci-fi type person. I can't stop at one. So I'm going to have to pass on this. That, that, that requires way too much thought. Sorry. <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll give you a pass on that because you were very informative to our listeners. We'll give you a break. Uh, hey, Jeff, if you weren't doing what you do today, what would you be doing? Uh, well, I, I, I gave you guys a hard time about this, about me crawling out of the woods, but, uh, obviously I would, I would spend more time with nature and be like one of those guys that does the professional deer hunts and just records TV and gets paid to hunt. I think that'd be really cool to just do something you're passionate about and get paid to do it. Um, it's not that I'm not passionate about pharmacy. Um, and I really, I really love pharmacy, but, uh, being, being paid to deer hunt, I think would be pretty cool. Yeah. All right. And lastly, our theme, as you know, at One Digital this year is being bold. What does that mean to you, being bold? I think it goes back to my punchline around disruption. So uh, I I think being bold, specific in in my world and my scape, is not accepting status quo, uh, getting more aggressive, willing to say, do we have the right patients taking the right drug? What is inappropriate happening within my spend? How is my benefit provider truly managing risk, not managing my financials, but truly managing my risk and and really digging in at a deeper level? And and again, considering, you know, looking at disruption versus savings and being more disruptive. Again, I know that's not for every group to be disruptive and and to think like that. But again, if if we're going to change outcomes, we have to change the trajectory. Great. Thank you, Jeff Post, for joining us today. Everyone, if you're looking to dig deeper into this topic, uh, be sure to catch our latest advisory session, which is uncovering the truth behind your pharmacy spend. That's available via a webinar or our employer advisory podcast. We'll drop the links to both of those in the description of this podcast so you have easy access to those. Uh, as always, thank you for tuning in. This has been yet another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits. Yeah.